The information contained in this podcast is an expression of opinion and does not constitute investment advice. This is the Gold Money Podcast with Dominic Frisby, keeping you up to date with expert opinion on precious metals and the markets. Hello and welcome to the Gold Money Podcast, hosted in association with Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. It's my pleasure in today's show to welcome back the cynic. He is, of course, Dr. John Wollstonecroft. John is a private investor. He invests a, a lot of money in mining stocks, although I believe slightly less than he used to once upon a time. And uh, John's come back on to the show um, with some thoughts today about gold, how we need to start thinking thinking about gold a little bit differently. So, John, um, welcome back. And uh, why don't you crack on and, and tell us what you've got to say? Yes, well, I think um, w- what I'm sort of feeling at the moment is I go to lots of conferences and presentations. And whenever punters up there try and predict the gold price, it's all chattering about quantitative easing, money supply growth, house price to gold ratios, real interest rates, deflation, inflation, the Dow gold ratio, and it goes on and on and on. There's all these magic ratios that apparently tell us what the gold price is, is a fair price for gold. I think it's getting a bit stale. It's the same stuff again and again. I think we naturally need to be thinking about other things when we think of gold and what a fair price for gold is. Is it really QE and house price to gold ratios? Because for most of this market, there's been no, this bull market since 2001, so there's been no QE. Uh, there's been credit growth perhaps, but most gold bugs never really slavishly followed uh, credit growth uh, charts like we seem to uh, on almost on a daily basis these days when we look at QE. So what, what, what should we be looking at then? Well, I think first of all, we have to be not be, don't be deluded by single dimensional arguments uh, that just look at one factor. We've all become sort of QE junkies and the speculators pile into gold or pile out of gold just on the basis of QE. And people punt about the price of gold as if it's just a number. I heard an economist from the IMF speak at a, one of these conferences recently. She had predictions um, about the price of gold. And I asked her after she spoke, what about gold production? And she said, well, oh, I don't know anything about gold production. You know, as far as she was concerned, it's some sort of dirty little thing people do underground. And there she was um, standing up predicting gold uh, to be something like $1,635 next year to an accuracy of $5, missing what I think is a huge uh, aspect of, of the nature of, of the gold market. And I think we need to actually look at the gold price as something that's set in a market with buyers buyers and sellers. Okay, so uh, let, let's, let's throw away the arguments, if you like, about QE. And, and what, what should we be looking about? Okay, what should so we, we be looking at? We, we have a market there. We've got buyers and sellers, and they have to meet and transact gold at a certain price. Um, and... Let's have a think about who these buyers and sellers are. You might naturally think, well, the, the buyers are the gold investors and the sellers are the producers. But the producers, strangely enough, the miners, aren't actually a big part of the game. Their level of production in the last 10 years has been roughly constant. Now, they are producing gold, but there's also world population growth and world GDP growth. So even though there's new supply coming to the market, it's roughly in line with the increasing world wealth. So every year an extra 2 or 3% of gold comes onto the market relative to all the gold mined in the whole of history. And world wealth increases by the same in terms of financial assets, 2 or 3%. So the producers aren't actually a big player in this sort of marginal thing is who's buying and who's selling. They're just naturally satisfying the demand for an ever-increasing world. 
And I think this is a little bit different. If we think of other markets, think of other bubbles and other bull markets in an equity bubble, we get new supply coming in in the form of new public listings, new companies, options get exercised and sold into the market, companies take over other companies with newly issued paper. Debt bubbles are the same. Companies and, and, and governments start lending more and more debt. Houses are the same. People start building um, new houses and house prices go up. Um, but in the gold bubble, there's actually been, in this gold bubble anyway, there's been no increase in the supply of gold. There's been no supply response to the demands of a bull market. So I think we need to, to look at the price of gold in terms of who are the marginal sellers of gold? Who's going to be prepared to let go of their gold? Uh, the existing investors, that is, and not the producers, because as I've said, I don't think the producers are actually big players. Who's going to sell this gold and who's going to buy the gold? Um, now, I think no one really knows the answer to this question uh, in terms of absolute numbers. But I think the whole dilemma can be summarized up as the question of what is the asset allocation of gold? How much of your wealth do you put in gold? Uh, and worldwide, how much worldwide wealth is going to be put in gold? And I think that actually summarizes up the main driver of the market. Okay, carry on, carry on. Interesting stuff. Well, let's have a look at asset allocation then. Now, many of the potential sellers in the gold market today, I think they already own gold and believe in it. Um, and they're only going to sell it when the price is going to get too high for their comfort zone. And the price is going to be too high when they simply think, they're over allocated to it. They look at their asset allocation and they think, gosh, I've really got a bit too much gold at the moment. I need to let go of some of that. That's the reason uh, Merrin Somerset Webb sold last year? Quite Well, good, good on no, Merrin Somerset. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. She said she only, it was, it was taking up too big a portion of her portfolio and that's well, why she sold, she said. So she, she's an asset allocator. Yeah. And, and, and I think gold is a little bit different because I don't think bondholders believe in bonds or equity holders in equities quite the same way as gold holders do in gold. Uh, you mentioned Mary Somerset Webb. She's been going around for years talking about gold. She doesn't stand up at conferences and says, oh, by the way, I own a few bonds or I own some equities or I, I know she bought a house. I own a house. She did talk a little bit about that, but people own gold and they sort of have a bit, a bit of a stronger belief in it, I think, than they do, uh, they do, do in other um, assets. So these sellers have actually got to overcome a strong belief. They own gold for a reason and they've got to overcome that reason. While in equities, well, a lot of people think, well, I've got some equities, a bit of a bear market, maybe I should sell them. And they're not sort of in love with it as, as maybe some of the gold bugs are in gold. Um, and can I, think I is, can I interrupt yeah, you? Uh, yeah. Just I think a lot of people, it's it's important maybe to differentiate John between physical gold and some kind of derivative form of gold because a lot of people, for example, they might own gold via a spread bet, say, or an option, and they might actually sell because the price falls and their stops been hit, or you know they've panicked a little bit. So there there is that driver too. I, I, I think you're absolutely right, and these are the short-term drivers, is people are on margin, um, they're, they're leveraged, um, they've got a spread bet, or they, 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 they don't actually, once, I mean, I, I have the same, I have spread bets in gold, and I have physical gold. I have never, ever sold any of my physical gold. It's just, I mean, you get ripped off when you sell it anyway, because you're paying a few percentage to buy and sell. It's just going to stay there, hopefully forever. But um, if gold looks a bit toppy, my, the sort of trading side of me that I prefer not to talk about, I might try and sell a bit of gold thinking, look, it's just risen so much recently. And these speculators, as with any commodity or any market, the speculators in the short term will drive the price one way or another. And, and, and you get these self-fulfilling 
price rises or price crashes. You get short squeezes and you get margin calls that, that push the price up in a short squeeze and the shorters give up and they have to buy back their shorts. And in a margin call, when the price has fallen, uh, the, the, the quotes owners of gold or the spread betters or, or whatever, that they have to sell because they have no money to support their margin. But I, I'm thinking sort of longer term than this. I think you're absolutely right in the short term, which might be three, six, nine months a year. You do get these big swings with, with what I would call the weak holders of, um, of, 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 of assets that are based on the gold price and not physical gold. But I think it's maybe a separate discussion to sort of relate the gold price to what all these speculators are doing. I think the gold price does track in the long term the physical gold market. And in the short term, it can get quite distorted by the speculators. But I know other people actually feel the speculators are driving the gold price even in the long term as well. Okay. You certainly don't hold a paper speculation for as long as you hold the physical. It's just much harder. No, but I, I have had a spread bet on gold open since 2002, which... Um, <laughs> well, clever you, but <laughs> you're pretty unique in that regard. Um, so so you, you can, but, um, but uh, in general, no. In general, the financing of, of these sorts of derivatives uh, precludes a longer-term investment. But, but going back to the, the ownership of gold... Yeah. Gold is incredibly under-owned still, and I know it's become a bit, maybe I'm being a bit stale now. A Gallup poll in 2011 reported that 30% uh, of Americans think gold is an incredibly good, if not the best, long-term investment, but maybe only 1% own it as a pure investment. I, I sort of looked into this and I found a blog where a restaurant manager asked all these customers over a period of time if they own gold as an investment, only 1% did. There was a survey on Kitco which came up at about the 1% measure. Um, now, now, Mark Farber's famous for, for asking fund managers if they own gold at conferences. Um, now, and fund managers typically do not own gold. But to be fair, some macro funds own gold uh, quite extensively who are trying to build a balanced portfolio. And also, to be fair, I think asking a fund manager if they own gold is a bit like asking a celebrity if they own a Toyota Corolla. It doesn't really tell you anything about the demand for Toyota Corollas. It's, it's just not what... Uh, uh, celebrities do. They don't go out and buy middle-range cars and fund managers don't go out and buy gold. But notwithstanding all that, um, gold is under-owned as a proportion of financial assets, especially when you look back historically. And of course, people own a lot of jewellery. And, and what's interesting, I think, is Albemarle and Bond, the British pawnbrokers, uh, they've had punters coming in over recent years selling jewellery to raise cash. Maybe these are the weak holders of gold. You don't get people going into a pawnbroker's trying to sell Britannias, for example. And recently, they've had a lot of fewer people coming in to bring jewellery to sell. So I think the weak holders of gold have been flushed out. And the people that own gold now are the genuine investors, the genuine long-term physical investors. Short-term, for sure, there's speculation in the market. But longer-term, there are those physical investors there. And as Mary and Somerset Webb did, they're going to sell their gold when they think, oh, gosh, you know, I really do have a bit too much gold. Um, and now maybe this is what IMF economists mean when they make up price predictions of 1635 or 1726 or whatever. But they don't really explain that it's all to do with asset allocation and to do with re people rebalancing uh, their portfolios. And I think we've really got to look at these strong holders and what sort of people they are. Okay. So carry on then. Well, Where do we... Got if we go a little deeper into this, there are two elements. How many people will allocate gold as an asset and how much will they allocate? Um, now, we, we, people roughly know around 1% of, of assets worldwide are in physical gold. There's estimates out there ranging 0.7 to 1%. Now, if, if 
because we know the producers have basically can't bring in new supply, if asset allocation goes to one and a half percent of all financial assets, then the gold price just simply has to rise by about 50% because there is this no new supply coming into the market. So I think this, this supply argument is actually a key. You cannot produce new gold like you can produce new uh, shares in a dot-com boom. Um, so all other things being equal, the cash equities and real estate all retain their relative worth to each other and we get asset allocation increases in gold. So 50% rise in asset allocation, gold just has to go up by around 50%. And if there's inflation in the world as well, then gold will go up by 50% because of the asset allocation and 50% because of inflation as well, because all the other assets have been inflated too. Yeah. And it, it works the other way. If there's deflation, and I think this is one of the arguments out there, there's asset price deflation, then gold should fall to remain a constant portion of assets. But I think the thing that you might miss there is if there's a terrible deflationary period, a sort of crisis out there, then the asset allocation in gold, because people are really scared, will overcompensate for the fact that all other assets are falling in value. So the gold price can still rise, even though everything else is falling around you, because your asset allocation into gold will, will increase. Okay. So I think maybe the economics mean that asset, the asset allocation argument, when we talk about money supply growth, house price ratios, maybe all these ratios that people punt when they try and predict the gold price, maybe they are sort of getting at this asset allocation argument, but I actually think the key is the asset allocation argument, and that drives all these ratios. They're just secondary manifestations of the actual asset allocation ratio in gold. Now, I think it's impossible to say what is the asset allocation ratio of gold relative to all world wealth, all world financial assets, but I do think it's the primary driver behind the gold price, and I think we both know, and many people out there know, that the trend is absolutely definitely in, into increasing asset allocation in gold rather than decreasing it. So even though we don't know whether it will end up being one and a half, three or five percent, we know the trend is, is, is still increasing asset allocation in, in, relative to other financial assets. Okay, very good, John. I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying what you're saying, but I, I draw the line at you knocking house price to gold ratios. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so should we um, should we move on? Where do we go from here? I suppose we've got to look at you know production. Production. Well, what, what what's stopping ten thousand dollar gold? Yeah. Uh, you know what's stopping fifty thousand dollar gold? If it's just asset allocation, why not? Why can't gold just carry carry on forever? And yeah. that's where we come back to the gold. Gold is a tangible asset. It has a cost of production. It's the exact opposite to QE because the Bank of England and the Fed can mess about with the money in the economy. They can just print loads of it and just throw it into the economy. Um, the cost of that is borne by everyone else, but the cost of gold production is borne by the miners. And if the miners can't make money or they can't break even, they'll fail. Um, and I think even though asset allocation is a sort of long-term driver, there's a barometer out there which is production cost. And the raw cash cost of production out there right now somewhere in the region of $750 to $850 an ounce. Um, so on the first take... And Isn't so it a bit more than that? I, I did check this recently. Yeah. Um, it, it, some people say $650, some people say $900. Uh, there's, there's, there's $650 plus this year's inflation. I think last year, somebody, I think GFMS or somebody came, or CPM came out with somewhere in the high 600s with a prediction of high 700s this year. So okay. I think, to be fair, it is around that sort of figure. Okay. There are, there are several it's amazing. I mean, it was about 400 a few years ago, wasn't it? Uh, yes, well, it, it was 230, I think, in 2002, which is risen yeah. dramatically. Um, and if you, say, read the Daily Mail, 
um, you might think, well, these miners are just raking it in because it only costs them 750 and they're selling it for seven, 1700 uh, But if, first of all, it's an old rule that the cash cost should be half the commodity, top, commodity cost because the cash cost just includes the cost of, of taking, uh, you know, exploding a bit of earth, digging it out of the ground, sending it through the mill and processing it. You've got to find that mine in the first place. You've got to build that mine. You've got capital expenses, sustaining capex, risk exploration costs. You've got to pay the board of directors and all, all this other stuff too. Uh, GFMS think the current all-in cost is well north of a thousand. And the Goldfield CEO, I think, said in February this year, if you don't believe in 2,000 gold, just don't invest in our company because we're not going to be able to, to produce gold um, profitably and give a return to shareholders unless it's north of $2,000 an ounce. Blimey. So we've got, we've got to remember that cash cost is just one element of the total cost of production. Yeah. And the second thing, it's marginal cost of production that actually really matters long term. And we see this in the oil market. We know the Saudis can produce oil for a few dollars a barrel, but that doesn't matter. What matters is what the marginal North Sea or, or deep sea um, producers are producing oil for, because that's what actually sets the spot price. And the highest cost producers out there who are in the market providing satisfying gold demand at the moment, they're producing gold well in excess of $1,000 an ounce. So the all-in cost is possibly sixteen or 1800 And if, if gold stays at these levels, these miners will just go bust. Their current mine will deplete, it'll fail, and the miners will go bust. Yeah. So the marginal cost is actually as important when you're looking at production costs as is the, the yeah. average cost of production. L looking at the way the market's treated the kind of bulk tonnage, low-grade deposits, um, you'd kind of think the market doesn't think they're going to make it. It all depends on the mine. There's, there's half, half Ramatan mines in the States that are doing incredibly well. There's stuff in Australia, and it's just dirt now, really, because Australian costs have risen so much, and Aussie miners just can't make money out of the gold market. So it's all very individual. It's to do with the stripping ratio, to do with how deep the deposit is, you know, what sort of angle you can get in your open cut. There's all sorts of factors. But notwithstanding all those, there really are simple facts out there that a large proportion... 10 or 20 percent of all the gold in the world is produced at very high cash costs at the moment and if gold dro drops a lot then those miners just won't be able to survive yeah um and and of course as well as that there's inflation in the industry there's inflation we all suffer but there's also uh, wage price inflation i think the colorado school of mines uh graduates now earn more than graduates from harvard for example Blimey. um and there's also gold mining inflation related to the fact that grades are falling and if you're mining one gram a ton that's almost twice as expensive as when you're mining two grams a ton. You've still got to shift all that earth and jaw crush and put it through a ball mill or whatever. Um, now, for a while, I think this is a key point we're coming to here. When the gold prices rose, people thought that the miners would low grade. They think it's good times. We're going to mine very low grades and we're going to take advantage of the high price. And then when the gold price falls again, we'll start going back to mining high grades. And that's why... Initially, in this bull market, people thought that gold mining profits didn't linearly follow the rise in the gold price because they were just taking advantage of less economic ore bodies. But I think this has changed now. I think most people in the industry accept that this has changed. Gold miners have had a terrible time recently, and they haven't just said, oh, well, let's go back to high grading. They've sort of said, we're really sorry, but costs are just dramatic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that in the past, people used to think that the gold price actually drove the cash cost. But I think maybe longer term, the market's a bit different. Sometimes the gold price drives the cash cost. When you get high prices, 
people come in and low grade to take advantage of lower grade ore bodies. And then when the gold price falls, the cash cost falls because they go back to high grading. But now I think the other way uh, is the other way around. It's the cash cost, if anything, that's going to be driving the gold price because the cash costs are just so high. The CPM yearbook in 2011, if you're looking for a magic ratio, Dominic, yeah. stated the correlation between gold prices and gold mining cash costs between 1980 and 2010, 30-year period, stood at 0.85. And I just don't believe there's a higher correlation out there um, in terms of how to potentially predict what the gold price is going to be. Even though asset allocation is going to drive gold longer term, production is going to be the barometer, and it's production that's going to actually make people, uh, make holders of gold think, hold on a second, um, we've lost touch with reality. Gold has gone so high, gold miners are making so much money, this just isn't going to carry on. Yeah. And given that, given that correlation, I don't think your average punter out there is going to buy gold because of that correlation. They're going to buy gold because everyone's talking about allocating some assets into gold. Yeah. The, the insiders and the knowledgeable people in the market are going to say, look, we've lost touch of reality here. Um, this is crazy. I need to sell some of my gold. Maybe I'll buy a gold miner. Maybe that's how the asset allocation works, is that people will move out of gold and into gold miners to catch the end of a bull run when we have lost, lost, lost touch with reality. So you, based on that ratio of 0 0.85, if we, if we double it and say 1,700, uh, if we've got um, you know, average costs of $1,700 an ounce, uh, you know, including the marginals, then two thousand dollars an ounce is is a fair price for gold. Is that I, th I think yes. I, well, I think in excess of two thousand because we've we've got to we've we've got to look at the market now and the market in the future. Yeah. And this is what the guy from Goldfields was saying: is in the future, we've got some mines now, and in reality, seventeen hundred gold makes sense for the mines we've got now. But building a new mine. The, the immense capital cost, the fact that the local yeah. government's going to try and increase increase taxes or have a royalty or whatever, you need at least $2,000 an ounce in the industry. This is what people say, at least $2,000 an ounce to make building a new mine make sense um, because they think the cash costs are going to be probably 800 900 looking looking forward with inflation over the next, say, 10, 20 years, yeah. which might be the life of a new mine. But, so, but let's say so. But based on those on those figures, we currently have a more or less fair price for gold. Then, I would say so. Yes, I mean, if someone told me I've got this statistic, cash cost versus price, 0.85 correlation. Yeah. And at the moment, and the, the historical fact that go back over a long period of time, I've seen it in many places now that that spot price is always roughly twice cash cost. Those, those two factors mean that $1,500, $1,600 gold really has to be a, a minimum in the current market. If you want to add any sort of risk premium on, short-term risk premium, yeah. you can make up arguments about QE or whatever. But I think you can throw all those away. If we didn't have QE, because we've had inflation in the system and labor's gone up and energy's gone up and everything else has gone up and we have falling gold uh, grades, we can make an argument for at least $1,600, $1,700 gold right now. And five years out, it's easy to make an argument for $2,000 gold, just looking at, at the production side of things, so, so, leaving aside all this QE stuff. So, and let's say, let's say the gold price doubled and cash costs stayed flat, then you could find an argument to say that gold is overpriced and therefore to sell. But let's say the gold price doubled and cash costs doubled as well, then you'd still have a fair price for gold. 
I, I, I would I would have to say so. Yes, it's, it's the same with 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 all assets out there. If, if it costs twice as much to build a car, and car prices doubled, you'd probably think, well, that's probably about right. If yeah. Manufacturers out there started charging twice as much for cars, but we all knew they didn't cost any more to make. There'd be a disconnect in the market, and in that case, we'd have new factories coming in to produce cars at more competitive prices. That's an interesting thing about the gold market. It's not like that. No new supply can come in. But I do think that the insiders, the people that know about investing in the gold market, would start selling their physical gold and maybe going into the, the paper market, i.e. buying shares in gold mining companies. To, to I mean, sort of some, some new production can come in as higher cost uh, mines can be put back into production and brought into production. Yeah, I think this might be another indication of when, when we're sort of reaching a bit of a bull market is when, when cash costs are driving prices, then it's safe to buy gold. When prices are driving cash costs, when you suddenly find there's hundreds of new explorers out there and there's a very buoyant paper market in, in issuing shares in mining companies, yeah. and suddenly you, you find that cash costs are increasing not because of inflation or, or falling grades, which I'd sort of call genuine reasons, yeah. but because you're going to get lots of dodgy companies out there who are reopening rubbishy old mines that are always going to cost 1500 to $2,000 an ounce. When that market seems to be sort of over-dominant relative to the stable gold market of the Barracks and Newmonts producing at 600, 700, 800, 900 as we go forward over the years. Then again, you'll see that disconnect and you'll see that it's the gold, um, it's, it's the gold price that's driving the cash cost and the whole industry cash cost has been driven up by marginal producers taking advantage of a market. And again, I think that might be an indicator uh, that, that the gold price is getting a bit rich. But I think we can forget all this QE, Dow gold ratio, all that stuff, and just think, what is the trend in asset allocation? And what does the price of gold look like relative to the production cost? And we can make intelligent assessments on the gold price just on those two things. Okay, excellent. Well, um, does that kind of bring us to a close, John? Have you got any more, a couple more comments to add? Well, I, th I think the weak sellers are probably long gone in the gold market. Um, Albemarle and Bond had a, a profit warning, basically, because no one's coming in to sell their nine-carat gold Argos jewellery anymore. Those people have gone. There is no supply response in the production side of things. Um, and that means that there's a very healthy market in gold because the sellers are, are strong holders at the moment. They're not distressed sellers. They're not weak holders. They, they, they're selling gold for Merrin Somerset's Webb's reason. Which yeah. is overallocated. Short term, of course, the speculators drive the gold price. No one would deny that. I think the magic ratios are irrelevant, and I think we really can just look longer term. Let's take a big picture, look at asset allocation, what the trend is, what production costs are, and who's driving who. Is the gold price driving cash costs or are cash costs driving the gold price? And I think three simple things like that, they're not difficult things to, to follow, they can give you a good indication of. Uh, whether you should be thinking, if you are that sort of person, uh, whether you should be thinking of selling some gold or not. Okay, and wearing your IMF forecasting hat, do you think al asset allocation could go to say two percent? I, I think it could go. Um, it could. It could go to. Well, it could go to anything. In, in times of extreme distress, it could be five, six, seven, eight percent. I think it's always going to be lower as time goes forwards, and I think that's another reason why, for example, the Dow gold ratio. I'm not, not sure whether they'll work over the very long term because world wealth is always increasing. There's new houses out there, there's new factories, roads, infrastructure. So as world wealth increases, I think the proportion of gold relative to world wealth 
might sort of trend downwards over the very long term. It's not going to be sort of 90% as it might have been in sort of barbarian times 4,000 years ago when we all lived in huts because we've built so much since then and there's so much more wealth in the world since then. Um, I think possibly it's too hard to call whether it's going to be two, and a half, two or two and a half. I think we need to look at the trend and you need to think, is it trending upwards or downwards and not really worry where that end game might be? And is it trending upwards nice and calmly and smoothly year on year or are we getting to some crazy situation where it was 2% last year and it's 6% this year? Because any sort of very high volatility changes are obviously an indicator of short-term panic or short-term greed or something. Mm -hmm. So it's the, to me, it's the trend that's maybe more important than absolute levels. But the, the absolute level is still 1% is very, very low. I don't think any sort of sensible uh, financial pundit could sort of say gold is over-owned in the current market. So, so the ideal, the, the perfect storm for gold is 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 not uh, central bank um, money printing. It's to increased allocate, increased alle asset allocation, and higher production costs. I, I think so, but of course, central bank money printing will inflate the value of all other assets, and gold yeah. will just follow them. So, if we get Dow, I think Mark Farber's made this argument. We might get Dow forty thousand uh, just because money is becoming worthless, and obviously, gold will follow that. And because in the short term, people look at gold as a proxy for money supply growth, it might be that gold correlates with money supply printing to a greater extent than equity prices. So again, short term. Um, but, but short term, anything can happen. And, and you know, one thing I've always sort of failed at as a trader is, 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 is compensating for all the short term factors. You might think, well, short term, gold's going to rise because of money supply printing. But then another factor comes in where you've got extreme panic where everyone starts selling out, you know, there's an ETF scandal and everyone sells their ETFs. Or, for example, when AIG almost went bust in the GFC and all those ETF holdings dropped 40% in one day because they didn't know whether the holder could, uh, the, the, the um, custodian w w was good to deliver. Yeah. So I think that there's all sorts of other short-term factors. And I think, okay, you know, for me, I maybe play market, so to speak, in the short term, but um, I'm much more confident about holding for the much longer term looking at these longer term ratios as, as in my last interview about now is maybe the time to buy the um buy the seniors you know i think that's a call you'd make and come back in five to ten years to see whether it was a good call and i think that's my idea of, of looking at gold now is are we in a an environment where one can make a five-year investment in gold and i think we probably are if gold is three thousand dollars an ounce right now and production costs were 750 you'd be perhaps a little bit dangerous making that sort of five-year call yeah understood well dr john wollstonecroft uh, very interesting to hear your thoughts uh, a genuinely uh, uh, original and individual thinker and it's good to good to have you on the show again and come on and, and talk to us again in three or four months time i'm not going to hand out your in email address because i know you like to re remain you don't want to be badgered by people um but uh what can i say john thank you very much it's a pleasure. People want to find me. Uh, just go to one of the conferences in London when someone's trying to predict the gold price to an accuracy of within five dollars eighteen months out, and I'll probably be asking them a question. Okay. On that note, I'm going to say two thousand three hundred and forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Dominic. I think you're five dollars too high. Okay. John Wollstonecraft, thank you very much. A pleasure. Subscribe to the Gold Money newsletter at www.goldmoney.com to receive email updates on new articles, videos, and iTunes podcasts.
from our gold research section. 